God is God. He is on the throne. There is none beside him. Amen. Do we serve the only living and true God? Do we serve the one who called us before the foundation of the world for good works, for good things? And and not only did that, but put us down in here in the middle of this great creation, this beautiful creation called earth, gave all the animals and everything therein to put under our dominion for our pleasure, not God's pleasure, for our pleasure. He created the habitat for our existence. He put us down in here for one reason, and that is because he wanted an object for his love. An object for his love, because guess what? The Father God is love. And love can't exist outside of relationship. I mean, the Father God has to have, who is love, has to have a recipient. Has to have someone who is going to reciprocate. Otherwise, there's no reason for love to exist. Amen? And we are the object of that great love. Hallelujah. Not the the blue whales, not the mammals, not the animals in the field. It is we, the pinnacle of his creation, man, whom he created in his likeness, to be the object of his affection. And even though we ran astray from the get-go and goofed up the original plan for his relationship with us, he was not left without an understanding or a an, an ability or plan or purpose to be carried out in that. Amen? Praise the Lord. He had a plan all along. It says Jesus, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, before we had an opportunity for us to even have a place for us to exist and thus have an opportunity for us to mess up the plan, he already had a plan for us to be reestablished to him. And that plan was to be won by way of giving himself, giving who he was, his greatest possession, that is his son, Jesus Christ. The one by whom everything was created and spun into motion. The one by whom the worlds were framed. The one by whom the worlds are held together even now as we sit here and draw breath that he uh, desired before the foundation of the world to exist now for such a time as this. That same person was the one who was sent down into this world for one purpose and that was to restore us back into relationship with him. To restore the object of his affection. To restore the apple of his eye. To then create a potential and a nexus again for us to be a habitation for his presence. For us to be the tabernacle. The temple. Hallelujah. And we live with such a privilege. Such a privilege to be a body of Christ. A body of believers. But I got to tell you we fall woefully short. Woefully short so often in terms of the power that is available to us. Woefully short in terms of being the connection, the connection and the dispensation of that love unto the members fitly joined. But I gotta tell you this morning, there's been a wonderful anointing, a wonderful corporate anointing this morning. Did anyone sense it? Have we participated in it? And I want to ask of you one more time because we have opportunities. Yes, we have things that take place in this world, challenges. We have things that we're faced with, trials, fiery trials, sometimes things that, that, that seem to defy our reason, things that we can't provide answers for in the soul and from the natural standpoint. But yet will I praise him as, the, as my David said one time, yet will I praise the Lord. 
Though my soul be downcast, oh, I'm going to encourage myself this morning, and you guys are going to come right along with me. Hallelujah. But I want to ask Anna Rose if she'll come up here. We have another tremendous need. And I got to tell you, with God, just a few things are possible, right? With God, most things are possible, right? With God, there comes a time whenever Jehovah Nicotine just doesn't show up. Oh, am I saying wrong things? Are we encouraged this morning to know that Jehovah God has provision right up until the midnight hour? Are we encouraged this morning to know that we can in our strength and the grace he provides fend off those birds from the promises that he's given us to be established and have relationship with him and see the benefits of his kingdom wrought in our lives? And whenever our strength fails, then the dawn comes. And that's what we're here going to do right now. Will you all just engage one more time as a corporate body to carry a need? Hallelujah. This morning in prayer, uh, it was mentioned, I don't even see him here, Brother Turner. Uh, The Lord gave him a word about no man should be alone or stands alone. And there was a mighty anointing in prayer, the prayer time this morning. And... uh, to make it all this just developed in me during the praise and worship so just I'm, i haven't planned anything to, but i'm making a request last week i spent uh, a week with my grandson i tell you sometimes you just wonder if medical science doesn't just torture people instead of heal them but he, you know he's been fighting uh, brain cancer for a year and a half now which they said actually he should have been dead six months ago, but he's in the, he's in a tremendous battle. And my God is true and this young man is standing. He's standing. I never, you know, just constant, uh, quote, quoting the word about his healing. He's 33 years old, has a three year old child. He needs to live. And that's what we're promised. Okay. They took him in and the, the last thing they, last I hope that the medical science and this is what it's so, and I'm not, I'm for doctors, but I tell you what, we come to the end of what medical science can do for us. So, yeah, really they have no sign of any cancer growing, uh, any tumor growing, but uh, they've seen a few cancer cells. Well, it, you know, every one of us have a few cancer cells in our body. But what they did is they drilled a hole through his brain, going to shoot chemo straight into the brain. And uh, anyway, when Mr. Turner was saying that this morning, no man stands alone, and this young man needs all of us. Todd is going. He's flying out tomorrow morning to be there all week with him. And uh, we have an individual in this church, which I... I don't feel that I have the freedom to say but that it's going to fly in next Sunday. Meet with Todd, and they're going to pray for Joshua. And what I saw was if those that feel led to could just write out a prayer for him on a piece of paper and bring it next Sunday and just lay it before the Lord and take it to Joshua, this individual, when they fly out, if they just take it to Joshua. You don't know what that would mean, the faith that that would stir up in that young man. 
And that's what he needs. He just needs a boost of faith to receive all that God has for him. We're not willing for him to die. And so I'm asking any of you that feel led to do that, just to write out a prayer that can be taken and stand with Todd and this individual that's going to pray for him. And let's see the power of God set him free. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I tell you this morning, we're not those without hope. And hope from a biblical standpoint is not a wish like Walt Disney would have us believe. It's not that you you wish upon a star and hope by chance, by probability, that maybe you would fall in under the blessing. Hope is a confident expectation. That's what faith is. Faith is a confident expectation to see the impossible. Faith is the substance of that expectation. It's a substance, folks. It's not a wish. It's not something that you, that you just, uh, if you, if you concentrate enough that you'll manifest. It's, it is a substance of the spirit whereby we make a connection into the spirit realm and draw the provision from the spirit and manifest it in the natural. That's what faith is. It's a substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. And I got to tell you this morning, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Lazarus. Because of all the miracles that Jesus performed up to that point, there were so many wonderful things, including seeing people raised off the deathbed, deathbed and deaf ears open and blind eyes open. But with Lazarus, it was way different because the reality of circumstance was it had run its full course. And not in the, and not only did it run its full course, but it was several days after the full course had run. And it still was not too late. And that's what Jesus kept saying, folks, just believe, just believe, just believe, just believe. Right up to the place that he walked up to that tomb. He didn't want to have to hear all the grief. He didn't want to have to hear all the concern and what ifs and buts and candies and nuts that we'd all have a and Christmas, like they say. No, he didn't want to have to hear all that because he knew the word that he had gotten from the father that he had just fallen asleep. And if he, when he gets there, as he was led by the Holy Ghost, the manifestation and release of God's power would come no matter what the circumstance. And we saw that wonderful story, wonderful story, one of the most powerful stories in the New Testament, in my my opinion. It is never too late. It is never too late. Everybody say that this morning with me. It is never too late. And with God, all things are truly possible. I got my pages all wet, Cornell. What am I going to do about that? (laughs) Oh, will you all agree with me this morning? Praise you, Father. We're, We're here, Father God, to do one thing. That's to bring glory and honor unto your name. Oh, God, Jesus, that you would be exalted to the highest place. And in so doing, Jesus, your manifestation of light would come, that we would see, that we would understand and know as we're known, oh God, even for the moment. 
Oh, and precious Holy Spirit, we would endeavor to receive from your hand this morning the word of the living God, the bread of life, the manna that you would manifest this morning, oh God, fresh. Today's provision, we ask for it, Father. Holy Spirit, thank you for your uh, presence, for your movement. Holy Spirit, I declare you have utter and complete reign, utter and complete access to what we're doing this morning. Help me that I can be a vessel that would be unabated in your flow, not touched by my flesh or my soul, that would bring glory unto you and, and convey your truths, Father, in their simplicity, but in their fullness of power. In the name of Jesus, amen. We are here for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, I've made a mess of my notes. They're all stuck together. <laughs> my helper, he, 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 he brought me my water and left the lid a little bit loose. And then I got excited up here and turned it over. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question this morning that's been asked many, many times. And, but I want this morning for it to be, to be something that we consider afresh and anew. So I want you to wipe out everything from your, from your soul right now and purpose to, 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 to endeavor with me to answer this question and to proceed on to the, to what God has to deliver in this as if you've never heard or considered this this morning. And here it is. Why do we exist? Why do we exist? I know every single one of us in this room have thought about that in one form or fashion and probably have some tremendous revelation to that. Why do we exist? You know, and I could go around the room and ask for various answers and we'd get some, some excellent answers and all of which would, would be truth, you know, potentially. Does God, let's ask it, let's, let's start breaking this down then. Why do we exist? Does God really need us? Let's ask that question. I'm a teacher, so I like to ask or like to teach by asking questions. So does God really need us? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Does God really need you? I mean, if I asked you that question, how would you respond? You know, I, I like what Paul says, or what says over in Acts, Luke says, the God who made the world and everything. This is Acts 17, 24 through 25. The God who made the world, the God who made the world, a pretty powerful person, right? He made the world and everything. Verse 25, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. I think that answers the question. God doesn't need us, does he? Does he need us? He created us. Does he need us? I mean, in other words, is God going to be able to live and move and continue to get things done without us? Did he, ha did he do it before us? Is he lonely? Is God lonely this morning? You know, I mean, was, was that the reason why he created us? Because he got tired of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the Son of God there with him, as well as all the angelic beings and the seraphim and cherubim and all the, all the, the, the created beings around the throne that are just constantly saying, holy, 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 as he reveals one aspect of, of his greatness after another. Is he lonely? Is that why, why we're here? 
Well, let me, let me answer that question with one verse, and there's many, but here's a good one. Genesis 126, let us make man. Let us make man. Us is plural the last time I checked. That means that God had other, others with him when he made that decision to make man. Amen? So he's not lonely. He's got others with him. Is he an egomaniac seeking yet another prop? You know, we talk about worship and the fact that God likes our worship and we need to worship God. And we are here, Jesus, we're here for you. Is he an egomaniac that needs another stroke? Got one five-letter word for you. Man, I like to use bad English sometimes. It just brings emphasis. I got one five-letter word for you. Jesus. Jesus. It's a name, and his name is Jesus. That's all I got to say to answer that question. Because if he was an egomaniac, there's no egomaniac going to sacrifice themselves. Amen? Y'all see that? I don't think I need to go on any further on that. Did you know that David asked the same question? If you look in Psalms chapter 8, 3 through 4, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you even care for them. See, we see David asking the same question as he looks out over the stars. He looks over the handiwork of God, things that the majesty of which and the appreciation of his soul was limited to be able to take in that he's got to sit there and go, God, you who created all this, why? Why? Why mankind? Why is it that we're the object of your affection? Why do you even care about us, God? But I got to tell you this morning, a strong clue. Everyone knows we're going somewhere powerful, right? Hallelujah. A strong clue lies in the fact, folks, the certainty that we're created. We are a created being. The certainty that we are a created being, that's the strong clue. Because, listen, I'm going to give you a nice phrase this morning that the Holy Spirit brought through my soul yesterday. Creations are derived by purpose. They're produced by plan. And they personify the Creator. I'm going to say that again. Creations are derived by purpose. They're produced by plan. And they personify the Creator. And to accept that we resulted from a process of chance that so strains the laws of probability that it's impossible to sensibly convey is foolishness. I mean, it stands as the pinnacle of foolishness in the sight of God, Almighty God. To, to, to stand in a place of hubris and pride and intellectualism and defy the very common sense and inner core of a compass that God's put in every one of us that, yes, you can make a conscious decision to deny and just follow nothing but the vanity of your intellect and soul and turn that off. But i got to tell you, every man and every woman and every child's got an inner compass in here to figure out whether something makes sense or not. And to say that we resulted from the mere chance of a probability that is so great that mathematicians will tell you that it so exceeds the the concept of impossibility that they have a hard time conveying it to you. 
is ludicrous. Harold Morowitz, he was a, he is an evolutionist. He established, he calculated the probability for chance formation of even the simplest living organism, which is a bacterial cell. Very simple organism. He calculated the probability of that organism being derived by happenstance. Just happen to all, everything come together just right and it be, it evolve. Can anyone take a guess as to what that probability might be? Do you, do you think it would be about somewhere around the chance that you would win the lottery? How about the chance you'd be struck by lightning and die? How about the chance that an airplane will fall out of the sky on your house? Those are all very high, I mean, exceeding probabilities that most of us, we're going to live our lives and never see the result of, right? How about a chance that's so infinitesimally small that only people like Han and other people here that enjoy math and can understand and communicate in math can even come get their mind halfway around it? How about I take one chance in 10 to the 340 million power that that can happen? And folks, that means that there's one chance in 10 to the 340 million zeros after it. Yeah, see, everybody's laughing. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that the hubris and pride of man and his vanity of intellect can even drive them, allow the cart to be driven to this end. We are created, folks. My goodness. We are created this morning. Let me give you a comparison here to try to frame this to you. By comparison, only 10 to the 20 power sand grains fit within a cubic mile. Someone's actually sat down and calculated the average size of a grain of sand and figured out that the volume of a cubic mile and said that based on the volume of a grain of sand, only 10 to the 20 power grains of sand can fit in a cubic mile. And just to give you an idea, again, that's 10 with 20 zeros behind it. And how many of us can even go out beyond the word trillion, which is what, 10 to the 12th? How many of us can even go beyond that? It's quadrillion, then pentillion, then heptillion, then so on and so forth, right? Octillion, nonillion, decillion. Most people couldn't even have said that today. Because by the time you get to a million, most people can't, oh yeah, a billion comes after a million, and a billion's a thousand million, and then a trillion's a million, is a hundred thousand million, right? Help me out now, Han, you're my, you're keeping me on the track. Did you know, Han is a guy that likes math so much he majored in it. Oh my goodness. Most scientists, folks, consider anything that exceeds a probability of one chance in 10 to the 50th power an absolute impossibility. An absolute impossibility. That means that they have calculated the probability of the most infinitesimally small things happening and they cannot get mathematically beyond ten, one chance in 10 to the 50th power chances 
And at that point in time, they throw their hands up and say it's impossible. It won't happen. Can't happen. It's, it, it exceeds the, the realm of probability. It exceeds it. And yet the, the chance that was calculated by an evolutionist to determine the, the probability that we could have resulted from happenstance is one chance in 10 to the 340 million power. I'm putting some strong emphasis on this today because I want to bring an essential proof that we sit here today created by the hand of the living God. We're created by someone, and i got to tell you, I know who that someone is because I'm in relationship with him. And it is Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Father of my Master and King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And I say that unabated this morning. The enemy's ultimate goal, why did I spend so much time on that? Is because the enemy's ultimate goal is to lead us into an identity crisis. Because if he can get us to believe that we weren't created, that leaves us with no hope for meaning, folks. We might as well pack it up and forget to answer that question. Why are we here? Because if we're here by happenstance, what difference does it make? Because we're not here for a purpose. We're here by means of random probability and chance. And there's no reason and hope really for our existence beyond that law of random and chance. And certainly beyond this life after we live, there's nothing and no hope for us afterwards. Do you all see? He's trying to get us in an identity crisis. He's trying to get us to believe that we were created and leave us with no hope for meaning, both in this life or the life after, i.e. we have no purpose. Just like I told you, that little slogan that I feel like the Holy Ghost gave me. We have no purpose. We weren't planned, and we don't represent anyone or anything. Remember what I said about creations. They're derived by purpose. They're produced by plan, and they personify the creator. Well, then if we have, if we are not created, then we are not derived by purpose. We're not produced by a plan, and we certainly don't reflect anything of a creator because we're not created, right? If, if, if we're a product of probability. Now, I am not here to preach a sermon on apologetics. That's not why I'm here. But I'm here to further found your hope and understanding and to bring light by way of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, would you convey this and make it a certainty to understand that we all sit here, a product of a holy design by a holy creator. And his name is Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of my King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. I did not intend to spend that much time on that. But such as it is, oh, Father, let it be so. From the beginning, folks, let's start honing down on this. The ultimate goal, the ultimate desire of our Father God is companionship. It's conversation. It's communion on all levels, spirit, soul, and body. 
We were made for one reason, folks. And if you tried to answer this this morning, and I'm sure you answered it in many different ways in your soul, and there are wonderful reasons, but really, let's just distill it down to the residue of the reality of the simplicity of truth here, and that is we were created for one reason, love. One reason, love. That is the pervading, overarching reason for our existence. Love. We're the object of love. We're the deposit of love. We're the reciprocation of love. Agape, our our person being God's person created in his likeness. Because God is love, right? God is love. And love only really exists in the context of relationship. That's why we're created, folks. We were made to be loved. We were made to be loved. We were made to be loved by God. Man, if, if, if we stop and have it take a Selah moment and pause and think of that, I'll tell you what, if it don't bring tears to your eyes and you don't have any inkling of, of a revelation of it, because it just shakes me when I stop and think that I was created to be loved by my Creator. And it, what it will do is it will drive you to a, to a reality of relationship with him. Because you understand that that's the whole reason why you exist. To think that almighty God loves me. To see it proven out and born by way of Jesus' sacrifice. What more do we need? Listen to what John says, 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I can't say it any better. There it is by way of the unction of the Holy Ghost through the Apostle John. The one whom Jesus loved. And he said that over and over. And he rubbed her noses in it, didn't he? You know why? Because John got a revelation of it. That young man, he got a revelation of it. He beat Peter to the tomb, and he let you know about it, too. Peter might have taken off first, but I tell you what, he left Peter in the dust. That old fisherman. Got to tell you something about Peter, though. He was the first one to look in that tomb. I don't get off on something here and preach. I love Peter, man. I'm going to go hang out with Peter. I love John. Too. I love all of them, but man, Peter, me and him, we're going to, we are just going to chill. I'm going to be like, dude, man, you rocked. You're such a redneck, blue collar guy. I can relate to you, man. You're so quick and emotional, so quick to respond. But I got to tell you the thing about Peter was he loved Jesus. He loved him some Jesus. And he was the only one that got up out of that boat. 
And he was the one that got out of that boat again whenever he realized Jesus revealed himself to the disciples the last time there in that last chapter of John. And when John, that little young man, whom disciple, who, the disciple whom Jesus loved said, it's the master. Well, he didn't even get the word master out of his lips. And Peter puts on his garments and dives into the water to go run to him. And I tell you what, I like that attitude. I like that attitude. He loved him some Jesus. Let me give you the definitive synopsis per Paul. Acts 17, 24 to 27. Listen to what it says. This is Paul talking to some religious folk who's asking him, man, what in the world are you preaching? This doesn't line up with the stuff that we've been taught. It's causing us issues. And Paul takes off under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and he gives them a synopsis. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. I want you to hear the anointed words of the Spirit of God through Paul because these words ring just as true now to us as they did when he was speaking to the religious folks. He gave you life. He gave you breath and everything else. And you know what? He marked out your inhabitation right now. He marked out an appointed time for you to exist and the boundary of your land. I'm just putting us in this. Verse 27, God did this so that they, why did they do it? Here he's answering it. Why do we exist? Paul, why do we exist? You're telling us something different than what we've ever known because we thought we existed for one purpose and that was to walk every jot and fulfill every jot and tittle of the law that God handed down to us. And oh no, Paul's saying, no, 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 boys, you got it wrong because the law was just a play, uh, something to get us to where we're at now. Where we're supposed to be living now. You boys have made an institution out of this stuff and all that was was a stepping stone. And you guys need to understand That from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their land. In verse 27, and God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. Oh my goodness. I don't know how Paul, I would like to have had a, a, a DVD of this event. I would like to see the passion. I would like to see the the resolve and the fire of the Spirit of God in that man's belly that brought forth those words under the unction of the Holy Ghost. Because I got to tell you, I don't think I could have brought those forth without breaking down into a blubbering mess. Because when you realize what we talked about earlier, to understand that we're created as an object of his of affection and, and relationship with him, and he says, God did this. 
God did this. What? He created us. He appointed up times for us. He set the boundaries for our existence in time and in space. And he did this for one reason, so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far off from any of us. And I think sometimes, folks, my, even my own soul, when the focus is so much from a soulish and flesh standpoint, God seems so far off. In the middle of a circumstance, in the middle of, of suffering, in the middle of a fiery trial, in the middle of death, it seems like the light is gone. But i got to tell you, He created us to search for him, even though he's not far off. And our pastor talks about that scripture. Draw near unto me, and I'll draw near unto you. And it's interesting to me to stop and think that that scripture, the word of God is near you. It's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. This is the word of life, the word of faith. It's not something that's far off. It's a person. And this person is near us and, in fact, inside of every one of us who believe. How near can you get? And that's where we're headed. We're, the title of this, and I didn't even give it because I wanted to kind of save it, as we built this foundation, is God's living temple. Us. God's living temple. Us. Before the fall, God walked with man, you know, and we can see that over in Genesis. He communed with him face to face. And how do we know this? Well, because, you know, whenever man fell, it says that God came down into the garden in the cool of the day. And why would he come down in the cool of the day? Because he'd done it before. He came down to come walking with Adam. He loved him some Adam and Eve. He came down to come down and communicate with them, to commune with them, to fellowship with them. Guess what? To love them and be loved by them. To have that face-to-face, person-to-person interaction and fellowship. Can, can you imagine that? Just, just, just stop and think for just a minute. Three o'clock today, the Father God, Jehovah Jireh, is going to come up in your house. Are you going to cook him some dinner? Are you going to try to stir him up some homemade ice cream and make him some espresso coffees from the best beans you can roast? No, that's the kind of stuff I'm thinking about when I have you come over to my house because guess what? I want to please you. Amen, brother. And if we all stop to think to ourselves, the Father God is coming to my house today at 3 o'clock. He made an appointment with me. And it's not the cool of the day. It happens to be the the flames of the day here in Oklahoma in August. But he's coming up into my house at 3 o'clock. Just think to yourself, what would you do? How would your perspective change about God as you sit here right now? How would you think of him? What is it that you might do to prepare Would you hit your knees and crawl around and repent and ask God to cleanse you before the Father walks up in your house? 
Would you try to go to every curtain and every pant cuff and take the lint and the dust out to clean, make sure there was nothing that defiled in your house from a material standpoint? Would you try to burn some incense and candles to overcome the rotten tomatoes that are sitting on your counter that you haven't put up for five days? Because that's what I got in my house right now. Would you break out your scentsy, ladies? Fire it up because you want the Father to come into an atmosphere that smells good. Would you really hurry up real quickly and vacuum in those, those dark places in your room, in rooms you don't open very often? Crack the whip over your kids and make them go clean up their rooms that they haven't done in five months. Would you go pick up all the dog poop out in the yard that's been there and building up for two years? I know it's, I'm kind of wearing this out, but I think it's painting a picture. God walked with man, folks, before he fell. So that tells me one thing, that God desires to walk with us now. Nothing's changed because my God don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if nothing's changed, if he desired to walk with God back then, then what about now? I mean, walk with us back then, what about now? Oh, yeah, it's the same, folks. Nothing's changed here. Now, the manner by which it takes place has changed. He doesn't come down and and manifest himself physically like he did back then. After the fall, God's presence was manifest in vessels and dwellings made by man with his instruction. So now we see what happened is, is that it went from a place of God being able to physically manifest himself whenever he wanted to, to then a very refined context for his manifestation. And it was one by which he had to give instruction to man, and through man's obedience he could manifest himself. But only to a limited standpoint because people would be consumed. And do you think that frustrated God? Oh my goodness. Have you ever, in your relationship to the most important person in your life, feel like you can't fully express your desire for them, your love, your desire to please them, to meet their expectations, to be their supplier, their helpmeet? Have you ever fallen, uh, have you ever felt like you've fallen short and you can just never come to that place? I gotta tell you this morning that love himself had that happen to him. He had that happen to him. He couldn't manifest himself to the place he did before the fall. He really couldn't. Because of sin. So then we had to have plan A began. The plan of redemption. The plan that would, would then create the nexus, the connection that would allow him to do that in a spiritual standpoint now. Okay? But before that, before Jesus, God's presence was manifest in vessels and dwellings made by man with his instruction. The mosaic tabernacle that every one of us are probably very familiar with. And you can see it chronicled in Exodus chapters 25 through 31. That was the first dwelling. 
The central figure of that tabernacle was something that was made very famous in the Raiders of the Lost Ark called the Ark of the Covenant. Did you know that the Ark of the Covenant represented the heart of the focused presence of God in that tabernacle? And he gave Moses an exacting instruction to the finest detail and degree. And, and, and you know what? Moses and the priests and the people that were assigned those duties had to execute them to the perfect degree or the whole deal was off. And it wasn't that God's up there going, okay, boys, I'm going to see how well you can follow the directions. It's because if they didn't, they would be consumed by his presence. That's how much love desired to be with his creation. That even in the, in the, in the context of something that separated it, it from him, he was still trying to find a way to connect and manifest himself. And the Ark of the Covenant contained the tablets of the covenant law. The final building place was in Gibeah. You know, this, this, this mosaic tabernacle was it was a transitory dwelling it was something it was a tent folks how many of y'all have been camping sleeping tents i love to do it awesome my wife's not so excited about it but i love to do it my sons love to do it i like to cook me up some camp food not the healthiest but it sure is good and i like to live in tents did you know god lived in a tent for a while And that tent was taken to the place as they were led by the smoke of pillar by day and fire by night. And whenever that cloud stopped, they erected the tent and the presence of God moved back up in there again. And when it came time to go, that pillar of fire moved on or that pillar of cloud moved on. They had to take the tent back down and move on to where the next place was God was leading them. And whenever it stopped, they had to erect the tent again and the presence of God would infill that place again. It was a transitory dwelling. Do you think that was God's best? Do you think he loved all that time during the desert being toted around and having opportunities to manifest in a tent? Have you ever lived in a house that was a little below your standards? Oh, my goodness. Have you ever lived in a place that you had more roaches than you did Flowers in your garden? Have you ever lived in a place that your toilet made noises all night so bad that you couldn't sleep? Amen. Have you ever lived in a place that your neighbors really made you meditate murder about every other night because they would not shut up at three in the morning? They did not respect your atmosphere, your right to live and have a quiet, peaceable experience. I got to tell you that you got someone that can relate with you. His name is the Father God. Because God had to live in some places he didn't really want to live in. But nonetheless, love would not be abated. Would not be abated. And we're going to pick up next week and take off. Would you stand with me this morning? Is this good? 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, I got to tell you, I got me some chills going up through my being right now. And, you know, you get to where you look at David and you read the Psalms and you understand a little bit of where he came from. And he didn't have the Spirit of God inside of him living. The Spirit of God would come upon him, but he didn't have the experience with God like I do now and like we all do. God, God couldn't live inside David. But we're going to learn about the Davidic tabernacle next week. Hallelujah. Because David did some things that preceded his own understanding. As he followed after the heart of God like no other up to that point. Father, we're so grateful to you who called us before the foundation of the world. All glory and honor be unto your name, Father. Great are you, God, and greatly to be praised. Oh, God, we worship at your feet in the beauty of your holiness, oh, God, even now. We would return unto you a sacrifice, oh, God, let it be pleasing unto you. Smell, oh, God, and be pleased this morning. Father, with the praises of your people who would say, regardless of circumstance, we will yet praise the Lord. Oh, God, this morning we declare we unabatedly put ourselves in your hands and declare we confess your truth above all. This morning, oh God, be glorified, Jesus. Be lifted up, be pleased, our King. We are here for you, Jesus. We are here for you, Jesus. And we invite your light into our lives. We invite your light into our lives. Oh, God, just reveal it to us a full understanding of our destiny, oh God, in you. In the name of your precious Son, O Father, our Master Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you. What a precious deposit we have guaranteeing our inheritance. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you. Forgive us for for having dull ears. Forgive us for not hearing your voice, O Holy Ghost, even though you speak. You are there at all times. You never leave or forsake us, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you're with these, Lord God, your people. Thank you, O God, that we are in covenant with you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I want to extend an invitation to anyone that does not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If you are not in the fold, you cannot identify with what I've talked about this morning, then you need to understand and know him as your Lord and Savior. I want you to come down and we're going to pray and you're going to receive Jesus in your heart and become a part of this great kingdom. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. So if you're, if you are a person that needs the Lord Jesus this morning, I'm asking you to come right now in front of these witnesses who will be your brothers and sisters. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the one that draws unto the Father. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. All right, praise the Lord. I'm going to release you this morning. Remember our pastor as he's on vacation. Let's agree together for his refreshing in this time. (laughs) 